The children who are here in the sanctuary who would like to, to come join me up here for a moment together. And if you're worshiping from home, just move a little closer to your screens. We're glad to see you too this morning. Come on down. Good morning, good morning. Glad to see you. You can have a seat. Oh my goodness, what a big crowd we have today. This is wonderful. I hope everybody enjoyed waving your palms this morning as we heard that story together. I did. I saw you waving your palms up high. It was so neat to see it from up here, everybody's palms. Well, welcome, everybody. I love watching the Olympics. And I remember a few years ago, good, I'm glad you did too. I remember a few years ago, I was watching a race where there was a group of women and they were racing around the track really fast. And I was so excited at how fast they were running. But then all of a sudden, one of them kind of lost her footing and she started to fall and she ran into the woman who was running next to her and they both fell down. And all the other runners kept on going toward the finish line. And one of the, the, one, the first one who fell down started to stand up and run some more because she wanted to win the, win the race. But then she turned around and saw the other runner was still on the ground and her foot was hurt and she was having trouble getting up. So in that moment, this runner had to decide, should I keep running and try and win the race or should I help this person who's hurt? And you know what? She decided to help the person who was hurt. She stopped and picked the woman up and together, arm in arm, they limped across the finish line. And you know what? They lost. They came in last and second to last. But everyone was so inspired by them that they got to move on to the next race and try again. I think about that and that choice that she made, and it reminds me that it's more important to be kind than it is to win. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for times when we can see what love looks like. For someone who chooses to help and be kind instead of winning, Help us to notice when people around us might be needing help. Help us to offer help and to be loving, for that is how you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, if you are three, four, or five, you can go with Pastor Maggie and Pastor Aaron to Children's Church, then you fit right in. If you're older than that, you can return to your seats with family or friends. Thank you so much for being here. And just like that, it's my turn. <laughs> it is indeed a privilege to be invited by my sister, Carol Cavan Dillon, to be with you this morning. I don't know what, Karen, what Carol said about me <laughs> earlier. <laughs> I hope it was okay. I hope it was all good. Um, but this is my husband, Darrell, sitting next to Stacy. Um, he's faithful to, um, you know, drive Miss Daisy <laughs> when he can. 
and I'm grateful for him to do it. Thank you for the invitation to be with you today. I'd like to speak for just a few moments from the subject, the shape of discipleship. Will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of this beautiful day, this beautiful sunshine and crisp, cold weather that you surround us with. The glory of your Holy Spirit that I see on each of these faces. God, pour yourself out on us now. Anoint us in this place. Heal us. Forgive us. Save us, mind, body, soul, and spirit, that we might go forth from this place to be the people of God you always knew and created us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. What is the shape of discipleship? How do we live into the image and likeness of Christ? When I was growing up in church, and I grew up in a little church called Centenary in Memphis, Tennessee. Growing up in church, we were taught to do the things that Jesus did. To be a Christian is to live a cross-shaped life, to be a cross-shaped people. We're to love God and to grow in our relationship with God by doing the works of God, like works of piety, like prayer and worship and sharing in communion, sharing in baptism like we did today, reading scripture and fasting. We love our neighbor by feeding the hungry, welcoming strangers, caring for the sick, visiting prisoners, witnessing for Jesus Christ. We love our neighbor as we love ourselves by growing in relationship with our neighbor. And here, here's where I want to spend some time this morning. You see, I've been United Methodist all my life and, and a minister for a little more than 20 years. And if I failed anywhere in my own discipleship consistently, it has been in the call of cross-shaped living to love my neighbor as I love myself. I'm sure that I'm not alone. A little over 20 years ago, there was a movement called What Would Jesus Do? Anybody remember this? What Would Jesus Do? Somebody made a lot of money off of that. There were t-shirts and, and keychains and everybody was wearing those colorful WWJD bracelets. Anybody remember this? And young people went out to do the things that Jesus did. The cross-shaped things of prayer and worship and feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. Some people did those things and checked them off of their list of things to do. Others did those things and something in them began to change, uh, change how they spent their time, change how they spent their money, change even their vocation. 
change their view of the world and their place in it. And I think the difference between those who do works of piety and mercy and check them off their to-do list and the people who do works of piety and mercy and begin to see themselves in their place in the world differently is relationships. I believe the difference is relationships. We understand that we are to love God and to love neighbor, and we can do that. But we forget the relational part that is harder for some of us to do, especially in the margins. You know, I'm an introvert. People don't believe me when I say that, but, but I'm, I am. I'm, I'm an introvert, but I can do extroverted things. Sometimes it's hard for us to, to to be in relationship with people that we know. But when we get out there where people, with people we don't know, with the stranger, with the poor, with the sick, with the, the, the demon-possessed, we, we are, we're less likely to, to be able to see those people. We, we will serve. We'll serve, but we won't see them. We like to serve, but we're, we're, it's hard for us to hear their voices. We like to serve but it's hard for us to be changed. In our scripture lesson, Paul the apostle whose government name is Saul of Tarsus writes out of his cross-shaped relationship with Jesus Christ. Note that Paul wasn't one of the original apostles. After the resurrection, Christian communities were forming as the gospel spread, and Saul was employed by the Roman government to persecute Christians. As a matter of fact, it is said that Saul was the best in the business. Then one day, Jesus staged an intervention on the road at Damascus. And a great light blinded Saul, and he fell down, and he heard a divine voice. He was blind for three days and did not eat or drink anything. In the meantime, Ananias received a divine revelation to visit Saul. Ananias laid hands on Saul saying, Jesus, Jesus who appeared to you on the road sent me so that you may see again and may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, the scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized like Martin Tripp was today. Jesus invested in a relationship with Saul, changed his name to Paul, and it is out of that relationship that Paul plants churches in Philippi, Galatia, Corinth, and Ephesus. He spends the rest of his life not only trying to do the things that Jesus did, but in our scripture reading this morning, he lets us know that he tries to think the thoughts that Jesus thought. There's some disagreement disrupting the body of Christ at Philippi, creating disunity among its leadership. Now, you know how leaders are. 
You get these type A personality types that, that think they're right all the time or, or things aren't done right unless they're done our way. I'm just telling on myself. <laughs> then you have the more quiet leaders who, who don't have to have things their way, but you got to watch them too. They, won't, they don't want to do it that way. So they'll just move on to doing something else. And they won't say a word. And here we have everybody being right, but no right relationships. Jesus prioritized relationships. From the moment he personally invited 12 men to follow him to the moment he hung from an old rugged cross between two thieves, he loved us as he loved himself. Paul says Jesus was God, but he didn't use being God to his advantage. He made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He took on the nature of a servant. This is the mindset of Jesus. He came to serve, not to be served. And in his serving, he spent time with people who were considered a problem. He submitted himself to relationships with folks in the margins. He saw the sick and the blind and those possessed by demons and he heard their cries and he drew near to them and changed their lives. But he also allowed them to change him. There was a Syrophoenician woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit. She came and fell at his feet and repeatedly asked Jesus to cast the demon out of her. And, and the famous line of Jesus, let the children be satisfied first. For it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But that Syrophoenician woman came back with this, yes, Lord. But even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. The scriptures say Jesus responded, because of your answer, go, go, the demon is gone from your daughter. In that moment, Jesus could have been right, but the righteousness of God is evident in right relationships. If we want to fully live into a cross-shaped discipleship, we must have a cross-shaped mind to follow God and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Gregory Ellison, author of Fearless Dialogues, writes of being in New York City on the train and an encounter with a 57-year-old homeless man who had been stabbed outside a train station on 9-11 and hospitalized for 68 days. And the day when Ellison encounters this man is the 68th day. The man said, I'm recovering but I need help, I need food, money, whatever, whatever you can offer. Ellison retrieved money from his wallet and with his eyes downcast, lifted his hand from his seated position. 
but the recovering man would not receive the money in his palm until Ellison looked up, catching his eyes with his own. The man responded, thank you. Then he sat nearby, pulling out a browning, half-eaten banana, and before taking a bite, his eyes found Ellison's again, and he said again, thank you. Ellison nodded in response, and as the train slowed and Ellison stood up to leave, the man reached out and grabbed his wrist. From a standing position, he looked downward at the man's reddened, watering eyes. And in a faint whisper, the man said, God bless you, man. Thank you. Incapable of speaking, Ellison nodded his head again in gratitude for the 10-word lecture that changed his life. In this encounter with a homeless man, Ellison saw heard, and his mind was changed. He began to question his own thinking and to seek out the mind of Christ. His work and ministry continue to be informed today by what he calls the long loving look in a sanctified silence followed by a litany of thank yous that caused him to reflect on what it means to be a neighbor and to help others to do so as well, to live intentionally as Christ did, to see, hear, and change the three feet around us, which also changes us. I imagine that long, loving look is the same look Jesus gave to the blind man in John's gospel before he started moving spit and dirt around and, and spread the mud over his eyes and told him to go wash in the pool at Salome. I imagine the long, loving look is the same look Jesus gave the Pharisees in Luke's gospel when they complained that he received sinners and eats with them. I imagine that it was the, the same long, loving look that Jesus gave them when he tells them three stories about lost things that offer a window into his thinking. He tells of a woman who searches high and low for a lost coin. Few of us have ever had a coin or will ever have a coin worth enough money or trouble to tear up the whole house. But have you ever lost your phone? I don't know about you, and my husband might kill me, but he lost his phone recently. And he searched high and low in the washing machine and everywhere for that phone. But isn't that just like God? Don't we serve a God who does not rest until he finds us? Like the parable of the lost sheep, he will not stop looking until he finds you. Doesn't matter what you have done or, or even what you're about to do. The mind of Christ is right relationship. 
The third story of lost things is known, it's called the prodigal son. It's about a father who doesn't act like us. This father lets his younger son who isn't owed an inheritance get an inheritance before the father is even dead. Anybody ever receive an inheritance that you didn't deserve? Well, let me help you. Every day we receive an inheritance in Christ Jesus we do not deserve. We are sinners saved by an amazing grace. Anybody ever receive an inheritance you didn't deserve? Okay, y'all can be quiet. It's all right. I'm used to it. Every day. Maybe you're quiet because you know that every day you blow it in some way. I know I do. Maybe we blow it in loose living like the father's younger son. Don't raise your hand on that. Maybe we blow it because we think we've earned our inheritance, because we've been so good, did everything we were supposed to do like the older son. However we blow it, the father gives us an extravagant, extraordinary, indescribable love that is always welcoming and inviting and always ready to receive us back into the fold restoring right relationship is the very mindset of Christ. Cross-shaped thinking that informs our cross-shaped doing. And Paul leaves us with this, brothers and sisters. Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, and whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, let us meditate on these things. For these form the mind of Christ and the very shape of discipleship. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.